A businessman wakes up in the locked hotel room next to the body of his dead lover. He hires a famous lawyer to defend him, and over the next three hours, they work together to build his defense. Will the time run out before he manages to give her enough information to clear his name? Let me just drop us straight in. This Spanish businessman called Adrián Doria opens up the door to his defense lawyer, Virginia Goodman, and he just lets her into this hotel room where the police has been monitoring his every move, telling her he wasn't expecting her to come so early, and also how this whole room just feels like a prison cell, so he's kind of glad she is here. As Virginia walks in and she's kind of just like standing, figuring out where to sit down, Adrian went into his bedroom to put some more formal clothes on. And as he pops out, there's a news segment playing about Laura Vidal being murdered and how they're suspecting this businessman of the year, Adrian Doria, to have killed her. Virginia notices that Adrian is just standing behind her, so she turns around and starts chatting to him, telling him there had been a setback. She actually came early because she had heard that the prosecutor had found a witness that will be testifying in front of a judge. Virginia tells Adrian they only have three hours to work on this defense before this witness was to go in front of a judge, so that then she can come prepared and defend him properly. So if he could just switch off all of the devices, switch off his phone, anything else that he has, sit down at this table in front of her, because they're working against time. I have just dropped you into the plot of a Spanish movie called Contratiempo, the setback, or what they translated it to on Netflix, The Invisible Guest, as the theme of the minisodes of this month are going to be fictional stories, whether it's movies or series or books, that have left an imprint on me, that I wish I could watch for the first time again. And this is definitely one of those. So... Virginia and Adrian are sitting opposite each other at this table. Let us go through what they're talking about. Something to notice immediately as we go into this movie is the importance of working against time. That's partially why I hate that they didn't just do a literal translation of this movie title. Because even when Virginia sits down at this desk with Adrian, she puts a stopwatch on the desk, she makes sure he understands she's his last option, and that they truly only have three hours to work against him, that his life depends on it. And all of the devices are there, her coming there early, the urgency in the tone of voice, the fact that she made him switch off all of the devices, the fact that she put an actual stopwatch that's like doing its TikTok thing on the desk. Everything is used to enhance that. Everything is used to give us some sense of urgency. And then the title of the movie kind of just completely disregards that, and that's the part that pissed me the fuck off. But anyways, they're sitting at this table. And now she asks him to tell her a story about him and his lover, Laura, that we have just seen on TV. Adrian starts telling Virginia a story about how him and Laura have finished their affair. They left it in the past. It has finished about three months ago. Adrian is, by the way, married and has, like, a small child, and his wife knew nothing of this affair. But suddenly, somebody was blackmailing them. They blackmailed that they will tell. 
And they have asked Laura and Adrian to go to this place called Bella Vista. It is this hotel in the middle of nowhere, in like a mountain range. Whoever is blackmailing them made them travel 300 miles via a train to get to this hotel that's called Bella Vista, that is in the middle of nowhere, a mountain range, and has also booked room 715 for them. Why? Because they're supposed to bring a suitcase of cash, 100,000 euros to be exact, to hand over to whoever is blackmailing them. So, both of them appear at the hotel, both of them get to the room 715, and once at the room, Adrian gets a text message. The text message appears to be coming from Laura's phone, saying, I'll tell all, meet me at room 715 Hotel Bella Vista. At that moment in time, you don't really know where Laura's phone is, but both of them believe that this is a setup, because both of them are clearly here, and that somebody wants either this affair to be revealed or something else, something bigger. But immediately, Adrian suspects that this is a trap. He gets up, he takes the suitcase and tells Laura, let's go. And as she is headed towards the door, somebody attacks Adrian from behind, slamming his face against the mirror, knocking him out. A few minutes later, Adrian seems to be coming out of unconsciousness. It seems like this has knocked him out and he has passed out for a few minutes because of the impact. And he hears the police banging on the door. So, in this drowsy state, he's kind of touching his head wound to see the damage that was done, and he sees this heavy statue, this, like, figurine from the hotel on the floor, and because Mario Houses didn't watch fucking telenovelas, he just touches it. He just, like, lifts it up to figure out that it has blood on it, apparently. Dumbass move. And then after doing that, he recalls that his lover was also in this room and he starts searching for her. And upon taking a peek into the toilet, he sees that she is on the floor, covered in blood, visibly dead, and also covered in banknotes. Just as he approaches her, trying to revive her, the police finally barge into the room and arrest him. Now, with him arrested, sitting in this helicopter that is supposedly to bring him back into the city, with his handcuffs on, the police is interviewing the other guests, the guests that have actually called for the police after hearing a woman scream inside of this hotel room. They tell the police that they have been passing by, they have only heard something that seemed like an argument, followed by a woman screaming. So, as they were going into their rooms, they kind of stopped, knocked on the door, said, anybody there? Do you need any help? But they hadn't heard any response, and also nobody left the room through the door. And after the police examined the room, the windows were shut. And also, I'm not sure how to explain this the best, but the handles weren't there. So, technically, nobody could have even opened the windows from the inside in order for a possible intruder to have left. Meaning, this only left one person who could have committed this crime. 
The police also did their due diligence. They have dusted for fingerprints anywhere. Window area, there was a fireplace in the room, so they have dusted anything surrounding chimney area. Like, all of the air vents, they have really covered their bases to ensure that there is only one man who could have done this. And not just that, but the door also had one of those chain door guards. I'll put it on the screen if you're not sure what I'm talking about. But what this ensured was that nobody could have entered that room from the outside through the door. The police had to barge into it because Adrian had locked it once they made it there. We go back to the present time as Adrian is telling Virginia this story, saying the police believed they had their case. They believed they had a motive. Laura fell in love with him, and in order for him to protect his marriage, he arranged this whole blackmail thing, went all the way out, 300 miles away from their town, to kill her and to leave her behind. But Adrian is telling Virginia somebody did this to him, on purpose, ensuring he had lost everything, that he lost his status, his wife, his daughter, because we see these flashbacks between him and his wife telling him in prison that he will never see his daughter again before he was released on bail. After he tells Virginia this sob story, she just looks at him and says, sweetheart, cariño, motherfucker, we just lost 10 minutes, okay? I am seasoned at this job. I have had 30 years of experience. I was actually just about to retire until a friend of yours, another lawyer, called in for this favor, for me to defend your redress. So, how about you stop wasting any other minutes of our free hours and actually start talking? She tells him in the 30 years of her career, she had two types of clients. And he is in the group that thinks they're smarter than her. And then she delivers a killer line. Excuse the literal translation from Spanish. There's no salvation without the suffering, nor are you smarter than me. After she delivers this line and he doesn't react, tell her that this is like the best line that he has ever heard in his life or just start telling the truth, that part. Yeah, she then opens up the folder, takes this newspaper cutout and just lays it out in front of him. And the newspaper article is about this student called Danielle that apparently went missing from Spain after just going to a friend's house. And the date just seems to be three months ago, when apparently Adrian concluded his affair with Laura. And this shows Adrian that Virginia had done her homework, because Adrian was actually looked into when it came to the disappearance of this young man by the police, but they managed to find out of his alibi that he was in Paris at the time. Looking at this newspaper article, he finally caves and says, okay, okay, Virginia, I'll tell you everything. It all started three months ago. And we see a flashback of him answering a phone call from his wife, who is kind of trying to coach their little daughter to say dad, as he's also watching his lover wake up, because he's apparently on a trip to Paris, selling this story to his wife, while he's actually in a cabin in Bierge. Bierge is kind of, I mean, the closest, bigger city that people famously might know of is Barcelona. It's in that area of Spain, like northeast, closer to a French border than anything else, really. 
between the mountain ranges, between the natural park. I can do my own homework, Virginia, as well, okay? Okay. Maya, she's a fictional character. <laughs> Get your shit together. So he's in Bierge. He isn't actually on a business trip in Paris. After him and his mistress have breakfast, shower, they start heading back home. They're driving the same car, and as Laura is in the passenger seat, she's kind of going through all the pictures that she has taken. And Adrian is talking to her and just saying, like, now we need to spend the whole day lying about where we have been, about how the trip had went. And she asks him, do you plan to leave your wife? He says no, and this is when we see the ring finger on Laura's finger as well. She says, well, I don't plan to leave my husband either. As they're chatting about how perfect their cheating lifestyles are, they suddenly start actually paying attention to the road, and at that very moment we see Adrian try to swerve because there's a deer that almost hit his car. So as he's trying to avoid a deer, they hit the car that was going in the opposite direction from them. Both of the cars make a couple of rounds in circles, and then they just stop. The car that was driving in the opposite direction seems to have hit a tree. Both Adrian and Laura are okay. They're unscathed, they don't have any wounds on them, any cuts. So they just look at this car and kind of hope for the same situation, you know, that maybe they're just gonna get out, get their insurance details, speak with them, and then just move on. With that in mind, Laura gets out of the car to check up on this other driver. And from the passenger side, she touches the window with her hands, just kind of like trying to knock and check if he's okay. But then she opens up the door and she realizes that this other driver is dead. She checks for pulse to confirm that for herself. And as she's observing everything, she realizes that the driver wasn't wearing a seatbelt. And that also, from the position of his phone, it seemed like he was texting, that he was either on a call or texting, that he wasn't really looking. Meaning that there are things going into their favor. If they were to call the police now, they would count this as an accident. Laura relays this information to Adrian, tells him that this was an accident, he wasn't wearing a seatbelt, he was on his phone. And as he's about to ring the police, she says, don't. If you report this incident to the police, you will need to give your own name, meaning that they will know you weren't in Paris. It's just going to bring this avalanche of lies that you won't be able to explain. Also, then the police is gonna need to take my details. Everything will come to light if you file this report. So, Adriana, instead of being a reasonable human being who could have thought of another lie, like maybe he took a car to return from his trip to Paris and just chose to drive this route, no, he's like, okay, cool. No, yeah, let's leave this guy here for somebody else to discover him and think that he had had an accident of his own. And he goes back into the car. But now, karma is a bitch because his car won't start. As they're desperately trying to get this car to start, they see from a distance another car approaching them. So Laura is full-on panic mode. Full-on, I'm gonna cover up the shit out of this. She gets out of the car, she has a plan in her head. She's like, Adrian, 
pretend like it's you and me discussing insurance details. She goes to the other car, she puts this driver to lean towards the passenger seat so that they actually can't see the other driver, making them believe that it is her who was driving this car. But what she doesn't realize in that very moment is that by doing so, the head wound that killed this man to begin with is now bleeding on the passenger seat, dripping out of the car, dripping onto the asphalt. So the other driver passes them by and he, of course, stops by to see <laughs> what the drama about, what happened here. He rolls down the window and Laura is just like, no, nah, there's no need, nothing really, we're just exchanging insurance details. And as she's talking to him, she's trying to hide the blood that is dripping out of the car. But we are led to believe that he sees it and that he senses that something really weird is going on here and that this is not really what they are trying to see it look like. This potential witness now in Adrian's case still isn't getting the message. And at that moment, before he rolls up the window and just moves on with his life, a phone rings. A phone that is in a car of a driver that they have killed. So Laura, thinking on her feet, she just leans into the car and picks up the phone. Now, we don't know if she actually answered the phone or if she just muted it, but she pretends like she is speaking to somebody on the phone and the guy finally gets the message and fucks right away. This driver walks away and now Laura is panicking even more because what she had finally realized is that this is inevitably going to make the news, whether as an accident or as homicide. Even if their car manages to turn on, somebody will inevitably find the body of the other driver. And then the witness that has just driven away will probably ring the police to testify that on that day, during that time, these two people were pretending to be exchanging insurance details, meaning that they were in even deeper shit than they were five minutes ago. And here Laura suggests the only logical solution to her at the time for Adrian to drive that car, to put the driver into the trunk and then to drive the car into a lake. No body, no crime. The police might never ever find this car and the body in the trunk. And as he does that, she's going to stay behind, try to call the equivalent of AA, a tow truck, for them to get the car. And she will pretend like she's the owner of it. And after that, they are going to use another prepaid card to reach out to one another and to agree where to meet. As the two of them are putting this driver's body into the trunk, Laura makes a decision to keep the driver's phone. She believes it will make other people who try to call him, reach him, believe that he is still alive, just not answering the phone, until the phone eventually runs out of battery. And now we see Adrian driving this car with a dead body inside of a trunk, and he's torturing himself with the if-nots. If only we didn't have a lie-in. If only we got up earlier. If only we didn't take this route. If only we didn't speak in a car and didn't notice a deer coming our way. None of this would have happened. Meanwhile, Laura is just sitting in Adrian's car waiting for a tow truck to come along. 
as we see Adrian by this lake just getting out of the car and with the whole force of his body pushing this car into a lake. But before he does that, he hears a sound of a branch, as if somebody just stepped on a branch. And in his head, he justifies it, oh, it must be that deer or just another deer in this forest, because he doesn't see anybody around him. So he proceeds and then waits there until this car and the body of Daniel Garrido are fully submerged underwater. We then leave that throwback just briefly to go to a present moment where Adrian tells Virginia, we couldn't save him. We had a future and he didn't. Virginia just looks at him with disgust and she's like, okay, I need to know the rest of the story. I need to know what happened next. Like, how did we get from this point to the point of you being blackmailed and reaching that room in the middle of nowhere three months later? Here we go back in time and we see Adrian picking up Laura in a car. They use the prepaid car to communicate between each other. And he asks Laura what happened after I left. And she says it was awful. As Laura is sitting in this car on the edge, thinking about what to do next and waiting for a tow truck, another car approaches her. This guy that has just stopped by introduces himself as Thomas Garrido, and he's apparently a know-it-all when it comes to cars. He just checks everything, opens up the bonnet, be like, oh yeah, the engine is not working, whatever. He has the parts at his home, and he doesn't live far away from that location. So he suggests attaching this car to his own, driving it to his home, and then helping her out there while she can just have dinner, have tea with his wife. As they're driving towards Thomas's house, he, of course, asks her about her name. She lies, says her name is Raquel. When he asks her what she does for a living, instead of telling him that she's a photographer, she gives him another lie, saying that she works in a bookshop. Laura's phone rings and her husband calls her, and because of how close the two of them sit next to each other, you're kind of led to believe that Thomas might have overheard her real name when her husband speaks to her. And she just tells her husband it's just a small setback, but she should be there shortly. Very ambiguous conversation. Like, Thomas is definitely getting weird vibes from Laura, but he can't really place it at that moment, so... They reach his house. Thomas's wife, Elvira, comes outside. She's, like, freaking out, you know, seeing this other car towed to her husband's, checking if Laura is okay, offers her tea, and just brings her inside so that they're in the warm while Thomas works on Laura's car. As Thomas is working on the car, he believes he has fixed the engine, right? So he's inside sort of trying to switch it on to see if it actually works. And he notices, first of all, that he can perfectly fit into the driver's seat. And apparently Laura is shorter than him, so he finds that odd. And then also he sees a lighter, this golden old-timey lighter in that hall where the emergency brake is. So he immediately spots a couple of weird things but doesn't make anything out of it. While Thomas is working on Laura's car outside, she and Elvira are having this tea. And Laura really says, like, she doesn't want to stay for dinner, she doesn't really have an appetite, she just literally wants to drink this tea and then go home. And as the two of them are chatting, 
Elvira is desperately calling all of her son's friends. So she sits down, speak with Laura, and then just get up, walk around nervously as she was on one phone call after the next. And as she's calling her son's friends, just saying this is so out of the ordinary for him, she reaches for the picture that was on the top of the fireplace, sort of handing it over to Laura, showing it to her being like, you might know the guy, or if you don't, because you are kind of a similar age, you might have actually just passed him on the road, because he left the house in the same direction that my husband did only a while later. And this is when Laura looks down at the picture and she realizes she's sitting in the house of the guy that Adrian and her have just killed. I mean, what are the chances? It is as if this was fictional. It is as if this was a movie scene. So Laura is shitting her pants and she decides to leave the room to put a cardigan on. She thinks of an excuse. She's like, oh, I'm actually really cold because the guilt is eating me from the inside. And she goes out to the room and as she is putting this cardigan on in the second room, she overhears a conversation between Thomas and Elvira. So Thomas just fixed her car and he walked in. And Elvira is telling her husband about how many calls she has made to the friends, all of them saying he never made it to this location. And Thomas suggests what if he was actually meeting up with a different girl, with a different group of friends. And Elvira is like, no, that's just not who our son is. So she decides to ring him once again, just to see if there is an off chance for him to actually pick up this time. And Laura connects the dots. She has the phone right there in her bag. So as the phone is ringing, she takes it out of her bag and places it under some pillows, as if he was sitting in that spot and just forgot his phone at home. The parents go into the room searching for this phone, they find it, and now they think, okay, so he left it at home. Well, Thomas is more convinced rather than Elvira, the mother. She doesn't believe that her son would have left without a phone, or that he wouldn't have realized he left without a phone and would have returned to take it. Laura, or, well, Raquel, as she presented herself as, is kind of there in the middle of the two of them being like, I really need to leave and get out of this situation before the two of you connect the dots here. So she excuses herself and Thomas observes her leave. As in, he watches her get into the car and as soon as she gets into the car, she adjusts the car seat and he's like, yeah, she isn't the owner of this car. And of course, he was smart enough to have made a note of the license plates. Now we pick up with Adriana and Laura reunited in this car, and of course, Laura has had plenty of time to think of yet another illogical cover-up. So, of course, she needs to get rid of this car now, because this car can be connected to the witness in the first place, can be connected to this household. And as she's telling him this story, she says, okay, this is the plan. Laura masterminds the way that they are going to get rid of his car on one of those impound lots, and of course he has to pay up some extra cash for them to destroy the car as soon as possible. She says this is going to be the last time the two of them will see each other. They have to think of lies to tell their families as to why they were so delayed. 
So we see Adriano calling his wife, telling her that he had to stay in the city because actually once he returned from France and thought of picking this car on this parking lot, this imaginary parking lot, well, he realized his car was stolen. So he had to go to the police to report it. And there is this police report from the place where apparently it would be logical that he was also in Paris. From that moment on, Laura and him were never to see each other again. This would be the last error he had ever made in his life. We see him moving on, closing business deals with some Asian company, and just living his best life, leaving everything behind. While he also can't escape the news reports on a missing man. He finally learns his name, Daniel Garrido, he sees his family searching for him in those forests, sniffer dogs and all, and is just trying to brush it off and move on with his life. We are pulled back from the throwbacks into the hotel room where he is telling this story to Virginia. And at this moment, Virginia's phone rings. And somebody told her the witness is already there. The witness for the persecution has already arrived. They still haven't identified him, though. Adrian is now under even more stress to just continue this story. So he tells Virginia that after a couple of days, after his post trip to Paris, a police showed up in his office and they wanted to question him because Tomas has reported the license plates on the car that Laura was leaving in and obviously they connected it to his supposedly stolen car. This is when we meet up with Adrian's lawyer, Felix, who met up with him and the police, and he explained to them Adrian parked his car in Spain during the weekend, and also they are going to be able to provide him with an alibi. They are going to be able to provide him with the plane tickets, with the accommodation stay, anything that they need. So Felix arranges for this false alibi, and this alibi gets Adrian's name removed from the file of the missing Daniel Garrido. The next thing he remembers is seeing this news report that says that the missing Daniel Garrido has actually embezzled some money from a bank, as if he had stolen the money from somebody else's bank account. After Adrian sees this, he obviously knows that Daniel Garrido is dead at the bottom of a lake, so he wouldn't be able to do something like this. And this makes him, through some payphone calls, arrange a meetup with his ex-lover, Laura. And during this meetup, Laura just takes Daniel's wallet. And she admits that before they put him in a trunk, she had taken his wallet, just in case they need it. Apparently, her husband worked for a bank, so she would have had the access to the system. So one day, as her husband was in the shower, she just logged in inserted Daniel's ID into the system and just made it seem like he was the one embezzling some money. While they're just sitting at this cafe, Adrian is now reproaching her. He's saying this was so unnecessary. But Laura deemed it necessary, because now they're not looking for an innocent missing victim. They are now potentially looking into a criminal. Multiple avenues can pop up into police's head. Maybe this guy embezzled the money, couldn't live with himself any longer. Maybe he is just a fraud. Maybe the police is now going to dwindle these searches out because they're looking for a criminal. They aren't as desperate. That was the initial aim. 
But as Adriana is getting pissed off at her doing this, just keeping the wallet, keeping some extra evidence while the deal was to get rid of everything, she says, well, that's not the only evidence confirming that you weren't in Paris, so you better shut the hell up, stop reproaching me because I could ruin your life. As Laura leaves this cafe, she leaves this meetup with Adrian, we are left to believe that now there might be some strong motivation. There might be a possibility that Laura was the blackmailer this whole time and that she had set him up and that unfortunately she got herself killed in order for him to protect his image because she had the pictures of the two of them from Spain from that weekend with timestamps on her camera. We speed up to Adrian receiving an award for the Businessman of the Year. And as he's at this event, just chatting up with people, with his wife at his side, well, a journalist wants to speak with him. And this journalist appears to be Tomas. Well, rather, Tomas faked his journalist pass in order to speak with Adrian. He tells him he connected the dots, that he had witnessed Adrian leave the police station because him and his wife were being interviewed on that day in that room, and that on that day the police told him that they have his alibi from Paris, but that he just knows that he's covering something up because his car was involved. As Tomas is talking at Adrian, because Adrian isn't really saying anything, not trying to sleep up, Tomas tells him he knows his son is not a thief, and that somebody is just laughing at his face. And then he pulls out a cigarette, puts it into his mouth, and asks Adrian if he has a lighter. And as Adrian reaches into the pocket and pulls the lighter out, passes it on to him, Tomas realizes it is the exact same lighter that he saw in Laura Raquel's car. Tomas continues telling him how once they found out that their son has apparently been portrayed as a thief, his wife fell ill. We see her going into a hospital and then coming back home for him to take care of her. And due to this emotion, as he's talking to him, Tomas drops that lighter in this fountain that they were standing next to. And as the lighter submerges into the water, we see Adrian just completely snap out of the reality and focus on that lighter falling deep down inside of that fountain. Thomas is, of course, following his eye movement, and he asks him, father to father, is this what happened to my son? But at that moment, security is coming in because they realize that he isn't an actual journalist to escort him. And Thomas is just shouting, just confess, just tell me where my son's body is. Now, with the time running out, we go back to the present interrogation and Virginia asks him, okay, so I understand this part of the story, but that still doesn't explain how you didn't kill Laura. So can you tell me about the blackmail bit? Like, why were you at that hotel in the first place? Adrian tells her that after that event for the businessman of the year, he was just sitting in the office when he received this envelope. And inside of this envelope was a picture of a lake and also one of those old-timey iPods with a recording. And on this recording, a masked voice asked for 100,000 euros. Or this particular picture will be sent to the police in order for them to find a body. According to Adrian, him and Laura were to follow these instructions, so she had to appear. 
And once he listened to the recording, he believed it was the witness, the guy that was passing them by, and that they were trying to sell the whole insurance scene to, that that is the witness that the police has had. But Virginia interrupts him, and she's just not buying it. She asks him three logical questions. First question, why is there a message on your phone, supposedly from Laura, if she accompanied you? Second, whoever you are blaming this on, whoever was the other person that killed Laura that isn't you, why not take the money? Why spread the money across her body? It was 100,000 euros. What was the point of the whole blackmail in the first place? And the third question that we had since the beginning, if it's not you, how did they get in and get out of that room? Adriana explained that they were led to this payphone. This is where they spoke to the blackmailer, and this is where this person told them to take the train to Bella Vista. Apparently, there was an entrance directly from the train station to that hotel. This is the room that they have booked for them. But also, Laura needs to leave her mobile phone behind. She needs to put it in the bin liner, like in one of the garbage bins nearby for him to collect it. And they don't think this part through, Laura, the cover-up genius in this whole movie, doesn't think this through, and she just leaves it behind, and they jump on a train, leaving their car behind. Once they reach the hotel, they go into the room with a suitcase, with the money, and this is when they receive that text message from Laura. They realize, oh my god, we have been set up, we need to get lost, we need to get out of here immediately, and this is when you know, the kidnapper smashes his head into the window and they just somehow leave the room. He doesn't know the answer to that. But Virginia seems to know the answer. Virginia walks him through changing the perspective that he's viewing this from. She asked Adrian how would a man end up being hung in a room with no chair, with no other objects, still being found 30 centimeters off the floor. This man must have stepped on the block of ice that melted. If the person was never inside of that room, what if they were one of the people outside? She passes on this picture to him, and she says it must have been Thomas Garrido, Danielle's dad. Because in this picture that she passed on to him, that the police was taking once they arrested him and were taking him out of the room, you can see Elvira, Danielle's mom, standing in the background, one of the people observing him leave. But she's standing behind in a hotel uniform. And we see this whole point of view. Elvira going into the room next door for a handle. Her going inside of the room with Thomas himself, leaving him hidden inside of a closet, while using that handle to open the windows in this room and the room next door for Thomas to be able to escape. The story flows perfectly. Thomas was the person that sent him the picture of a vague location in the lake. Of course, he doesn't know where his son is buried, but it's enough to get you anxious. It's enough that if he was to send it to the police, they would search the lake, they would drown it, they would find the car eventually. He muffled the voice on the recording because you would have recognized it. He was most probably at that same parking lot as you were having a phone call conversation with a supposed kidnapper. He was the person asking you to leave Laura's phone behind, and as soon as you got onto the train, he got 
that phone out of the garbage bag and he got onto the same train. Then his wife opened the door for him, left the window open. He knocked you out, killed your ex-lover, making sure to spread the banknotes all over her body, ensuring that you go down for it. We snap out of that point of view, of that possible reenactment of events, and we go back to the present moment, when Virginia tells Adrian, you need to say it was Tomas. You could claim that you have seen his face once you were getting back to consciousness, and that you saw him leave the room through the window. And this is when Adrian reveals to Virginia that he always knew it was Tomas, that he had seen his face, but he was testing her. So that's why he didn't tell her that. He was trying to figure out if she was as good as she claimed she was, and if she will reach this defense strategy on her own. This is when Virginia reveals that the reason why she has actually thought of this defense was because it's the only one that makes sense. Laura's phone was actually found on the scene of the crime, and that could have only happened if she wasn't the one to bring it into the room, if somebody else, the possible kidnapper, Thomas Garrido, did. She then asks Adrian to get up to show him something, and both of them look into the apartment that is across the street, and in the window of this apartment, they see Thomas Garrido, just lurking, staring at them. And she admits to him, Thomas Garrido must have been stalking your every move. This is the only story that makes sense. This is your way out. As they're just staring out of the window, looking at Thomas, Virginia's phone rings. And she picks it up and is just, like, walking around the room, like, yes, yes, I understand, getting increasingly panicky. So she gets off the phone and tells Adrian that the driver is indeed a witness. Change of plans. Change of plans. Listen, you have the alibi for Paris. Felix worked on that already. You have that, you stick to that, because otherwise the police is going to think now that you're lying about that. You were never even aware of this accident. What we need to do... This is Laura's fault. This is all Laura's fault. She was the only one there. She is the only one that they have seen. She might have as well stolen your car. The only thing we need to do is we need to find the location of the body. We need to find it in order to place something of Laura's inside of that trunk to frame her. She hands him over the map of that lake and the pen, saying, just mark up where his body is. Without this body, there is no crime. Meaning, without that body, you can't frame Laura. Meaning, you're the only guilty party. Adrian just looks at this map and says, I am not stupid. They already have a witness. The fact that they don't have the body doesn't really matter now. It is my word against his. To which Virginia just says, I lied to you. It was my time to withdraw some evidence from you now. They never had a witness. I just said that to see how you are going to react. She just said she was just prepping him for the possibility with the details that he had given her. And Adriani is like, well, I'm still on top of my lying game because I have actually seen Thomas Garrido as I was just waking up. And when I was in that chopper before they drove that helicopter away, I have seen his wife outside as well. So I connected the dots. I just didn't tell you that in order to know if I can trust you. 
And then he takes her pen and marks up the spot where he drowned that car in the lake. As Adrian hands her over this map, he says, I need to tell you something, Virginia. He was alive. And then we go into the flashback just before Adrian was to push that car into the lake when he heard some gurgling noises from the trunk. And he opened it up and saw that Danielle was waking up. He was alive. But he ignored it. He closed the trunk and pushed the car into the lake. So he knew that if the body was to be found, they will find that there was still water in his lungs, meaning that he was still alive. Upon hearing this, Virginia kind of loses her cool. She calls him garbage. She says, this is not going to stay in my career. We are sticking to the initial plan. I'm not even going to mention this to the judge. We are doing things my way from this point on. And then, after she calms down, she says, okay, so we have a story. We have your defense. But I really want to know the truth, and I don't think this is it. I'm wondering, would the pieces fit together if you were the instigator of everything? What if you were the one who saw the car and immediately fought to pretend like you're exchanging insurance details? What if you were the one who suggested to drown him in the lake? And what if you were the one who stole his wallet? in order to use your influence, your power, your contacts. Why do I think this? Well, I didn't really until I actually saw Laura's medical records. They stated she was suffering from anxiety in the past couple of months of her life. It must have been her guilty conscience eating her up. And you know what, Adrian? What would have been the last straw for somebody who is suffering with anxiety, who is thinking about this cover-up day in and day out, seeing you thrive, seeing you move on with your life, seeing you accept that Businessman of the Year award just standing next to your wife while this person seems to have lost everything. Could that have pushed Laura to pick up her phone and actually call Daniela's parents and confess everything? In that case, there was no blackmailer. It was Laura and the parents working together. You weren't in the car and on the train with her. She came to that hotel separately. She set you up. She called you from a payphone after making it to the hotel, telling you to meet her there. She scheduled that phone message in order to frame you, and she made you appear there with the money in order to prove that you were ready to do anything in order to clear your guilty conscience. After you received that scheduled message, she told you what she had done. She told you that she framed you, that there is no way out of that room, that you should hand over the money to the parents and tell them where you bury their child. In this final reenactment, we see Adrian picking up that figurine, killing Laura, and then immediately focusing on the escape plan. But he hears the voices outside of the room, realizes their witnesses to the screams, realizes they have called the police. So he focuses on the windows. And after he realizes none of the windows open, he thinks of throwing those banknotes on her body to throw the trail off of himself. And then just as the police is about to barge in, he's standing in front of a mirror and he slams his face against it. 
Adrienne then interrupts her, saying, well, if this is correct, then the parents were in on this plan, why aren't they speaking with the police? Virginia looks at him and says, because they don't have a body, you have an alibi, and without a body, they can't incarcerate anybody for Daniela's death. And you are not incriminating yourself. In fact, you're doing everything to incriminate somebody else. What if that first story was incorrect? What if Laura didn't instigate anything? What if none of it was her idea? What if the second story is incorrect? What if Thomas and Elvira had nothing to do with it? Thomas was not in that room. Elvira was not outside of that room. In fact, Look at the picture that I have just shown you of your arrest with Elvira outside of the room. Do you see her reflection in the mirror? No, because the picture is photoshopped. The two of them are still looking outside of that window into the window of Thomas Garrido's room, and Virginia tells him, Thomas had observed your every move, every chat that you had with Felix, every attempt to liberate yourself and clear your name. Virginia turns to him and says, if you want the judge to believe that you are not a killer, if you want me to convince him, just at least admit it to me. Admit to me that you killed Laura. I killed her. I killed her. He finally sleeps up. And at that moment, the phone in that hotel room rings. And it's a voicemail message from Felix, saying that he tried reaching Adrian on his own cell phone, but he wasn't picking up, because it seemed like the phone was switched off. So Virginia says, listen, I'm just gonna go catch some air, take 10 minutes break, you speak with Felix, and I'll be back and we can continue. As Virginia leaves that hotel room, Adrian is speaking with Felix. And we see Felix inside of this airport, buying the silence from that witness. He tells Adrian that, indeed, the prosecution did have a witness, and it was that other driver, and he remembered the whole situation well, but then he handed him over a bag full of money, and that is going to disappear. And with Laura gone, with this witness gone, he will finally be able to resume his life. Nobody will be able to testify against him. But forget about that. That is sorted now. That is in the past. Tell me, how is the meeting with Virginia going? And as Adrian is about to answer, there is this high-pitched tone coming from his phone, as if something is intercepting with a phone call. He had a pen in his shirt pocket, and it seems like the ink of the pen has just leaked through the shirt. So he starts replaying everything. He's looking at the documents that Virginia left on this table, and he is going through this notebook where apparently she had been making notes. These notes seem to say coward, killer, justice, imposter. He is remembering the conversation that he had with Tomas, during which he said that him and his wife met in a theater group. He is going back to the conversation that he's had with Virginia, where she lied about a witness, saying that is all her invention. The photoshopped picture that she had showed him that she had admitted to. Her saying, without the lover in picture, Thomas Garrido had only one person to blame this on. You. Pointing the pen, the same pen that he has in his pocket, right at him. He takes the pen out of his pocket, and as soon as he opens it, he figures out it is a recording device. 
At that moment, Virginia Goodman enters the room across the road where Thomas Garrido has been observing Adrian from, handing him over the map. That same map where Adrian drew an axe pointing to where he drowned the car and Danielle's body. There's no salvation without suffering, nor are you smarter than me, rings in Adrian's head as he looks up and outside the window. We see two close-ups. One is on Thomas Garrido and the room, and there are pictures strung all over the wall, portraying Adrian's movements in the past couple of months. And the second close-up is on a woman looking exactly like Virginia Goodman getting out of a cab, walking into Adrian's hotel. Adrian is now looking into the window across the street, seeing Thomas Garrido stand next to a woman who took her lenses out, took the mask off her face, took the blonde wig off her hair, and revealed that she indeed was not Virginia Goodman, but Elvira Garrido, Danielle's mom all along. The doorbell rings, and we see Adrian opening the door to a woman who introduces herself as his defense attorney, Virginia Goodman. And at that same time, Thomas Garrido is making a call to the police. The end. That is how the movie ends. I'm gonna admit my, my own thoughts to end this on. I love this movie a lot more when I watched it for the first time. It is definitely that movie that, like, once you watch it for the first time, you know, you kind of spot all of the flaws, all of the plot holes upon a second, third watch, all the times that she points the pen at him, you're like, okay, she's recording him. On the second watch, I was trying to really look into her face to see, like, the prosthetic they put, like, is it really obvious? Also, the whole premise that the witness, or the prosecution having a witness is going to lead him to confess. Also, the whole premise that they just didn't call the police in the first place, like, for this movie to exist, because he's filthy rich. This would have gone down as an accident. He would have not served a day in prison. But I just love how it was done. I love the different reenactments that made you believe that this is a plausibility. Like, all of the plots could have fit into the story, and that is the part that I like the most. And then that ending scene, the reveal, I was like, that was badass. I loved it. I loved it. So definitely would recommend watching. Probably not a couple of times, but hey, the first time for everything. Go on Netflix, watch The Invisible Guest. And also, tell me, what other movie translations do you hate? Or series translations? Because some of them just don't work. They don't work in different languages. Translators, please get on it. You can't lose the whole nitty-gritty of the story. The whole nut, you know? If you're a squirrel, you can't lose your nut. If you lose your nut, then the context of the story changes. Invisible guest, my ass. Like, this makes zero sense. I mean, makes some sense, but still zero sense. I'm gonna get out of here now, and you go watch the goddamn movie, and I'm gonna bring you something cool next Friday. See you, fuckers. See ya. <laughs> See ya. Better be ya.